got your Bibles, why don't you take them out and open them up to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3, we are continuing our series called Origin Story, where we're looking at the life of Moses. Moses seemed like he knew what, uh, he had it all going on. He was used greatly by God. He split the Red Sea. He uh, delivered the Israelites from the hand of the Egyptians. Saw so many miracles, brought water from a rock. I mean, crazy things. We got uh, manna coming down from heaven. We've got quail falling down out of the sky. I mean, just incredible things that that. God used Moses to do, he experienced the presence of God, the Ten Commandments, all these different things. And we think, yeah, I can't do that. No, no way, no shot. But Moses was an ordinary guy like you and I. Uh, we look at his origin story, we see where he comes from, and we realize he had mistakes, he had flaws, and it took him a long time to figure it out. Uh, and so if, if that's true of Moses, then that can be true of us, that uh, no matter what we've done, no matter uh, how old we are, that God can still use us in powerful ways. And so last time we left off at Exodus chapter 3, verse 10. Let me read it for you. It says, so now go, this is God talking to Moses out of the burning bush. He says, so now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. That was a huge task. That was a huge call. The first 80 years of Moses' life led up to this one defining moment. This was the, the pinnacle. This was what he was going for. I mean, the first 40 years he was training for this. He tried to do it on his own. He failed. And so the next 40 years he just kind of gave up and thought, God can't use me anymore. But then one day, he thought it was just an ordinary day, he comes across this burning bush and it wasn't burning up. And, and he goes and he realizes the presence of God is in this place. And God speaks to him out of the bush. He says, Moses, Moses, here I am, Lord. He says, go, I am sending you. Go, I am sending. Can you imagine if God did that to you today? Right? If God spoke to you and he gave you this, this giant task uh, that you weren't qualified for, right? He, he said, so, so go. I am sending you uh, to stop all the human trafficking in the world. Well, that's, that seems impossible, God. You know, I can't, I can't do that. Or, or he says, so go. I'm sending you to all the, the tribal villages in Africa that have never been reached before. And you don't know the language and you don't even know how to access them. Or, or so go, uh, I'm sending you to the, the Middle East and some places where uh, you could get martyred for your faith. You, you just don't even know. That day could be your last. Or, or maybe he's saying, so go, I'm sending you to start a church in Leola or Groton or Frederick or, or Ipswich or something like that. And you're like, I can't do that. People know me there. I wouldn't be good. And so what if, what if God called you to something big today? What if God called you to something big today? How would you respond? And how would you know, are you ready? Are you ready for a task that big? If God called you today, that would probably be one of the first questions that came in. Ah, I, God, I can't do that. Yeah. Uh, you don't know who I am, God. I, I can't do that. And so Moses, when faced with this impossible task to go free the Israelites out of the Egyptians' uh, grasp, this, this thing, it, it can't happen, God, there's, there's no way. Moses asks two very important questions to decide whether or not he is ready. So I want to share those with you today because I think these are questions we need to ask to figure out, are we ready? Are we ready for God to use us? He may call you today, are you ready? So Verse 11, uh, we see the first question that Moses asked. He says this in verse 11. 
But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that is, it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. So God gives Moses this, this great call and, and this call that has been on his life the, his entire life from when he was a young boy. God had this plan planned out. And you'd think that when he got this call, when he got this big, big break, he would have said, yes, God, here I am. Use me. Send me. Uh, finally, I've been waiting 80 years for this thing. You think that's what he'd say. But instead, it says Moses said to God, he asked this question, who am I? Who am I? Right? And that's, that's a question I think we need to ask. Who am I? Uh, I? I've looked back at some of the notes. I've taught this verse uh, several different times in, in my lifetime. And I always thought that this was a bad question. God, who am I? Because it, it starts out with, but Moses said to God. And usually when it says but, that's a bad thing. You know, but Moses said to God, like, who am I, God? It sounds like an excuse. And in fact, if you look later on, we'll get to next week, uh, Moses comes up with a lot of excuses. And, and so this kind of can feel like an excuse. And, and not only that, but when he asks this question to God, God, who, who am I? Who am I to go? God doesn't even answer him. He just straight up ignores this question and answers a different question. Right? So you'd think, this is a bad question. But the more that I've studied it, the more I've looked at it, I've decided I've changed my mind. I think this is a good question that Moses asks. God, who am I? And again, I think this is a question that we should ask when God calls us, when God speaks to us. You see, 40 years ago, when Moses was uh, wise, when he was uh, physically imposing, when, when he had a title, when he had a position, when, when he was a good communicator, if God would have called him and said, Moses, I'm sending you uh, to your people to free the Israelites out of Egypt, I don't think Moses would have said, who am I? I think he would have said, I'm your guy. I've been training my whole life for this. I'm ready. Put me in. God, I've got this. I'm your man. But now after 40 years of chasing sheep in the desert, he's lost his confidence. He's lost his strength. He's even lost his communication skills. So when God told him, now is the time I'm sending you, and he gives him this great task, Moses immediately responds with, who am I? Who am I? Think about it this way. Uh, how many in here, you've had the pleasure of teaching your, your kid how to drive or another teenager? Anybody? You've sat in that passenger seat and held on for dear life, right? So I want you to, to picture that, that moment for a second. The very first time that your teenager's coming into the car, you know, they're, they can't quite see above the steering wheel yet. You know, the feet don't quite reach the pedals. You know, they're, they're just getting that figured out and, you know, they're, they're figuring out all the, I mean, this is the most power that they've ever controlled in their life. This is a lot more than that power wheel that they used to have. You know, this is a lot more than the scooter or the, the one wheel or, or the bicycle that they've been driving. Now they've got a powered vehicle, right, that they are driving around town. Now, what attitude in this moment would you rather them have? Attitude number one. They come in just arrogant. I've got this. You don't need to tell me how to drive. You know, and, and so they just step on the gas. I know all the things. I, I've done enough racing video games in my life to know how to drive, mom and dad. 
Don't you worry. You, do, you accelerate through the turns. That's how you get through them. You know, we got this. Or would you rather have the second attitude of, I don't have this. You know, I, I, I'm not sure uh, which one's brake, which one's gas. And, and there's just a little bit of nervousness there. Right? Which, which one would you rather have? See, I'm going to feel safer jumping in with the kid who's going to hit the brakes too much than the kid who's going to hit the gas too much. Now, that's, I, I feel like I'd rather have somebody who is teachable than somebody who thinks that they, they know it all already. Right? And, and I think that that's kind of what's going on here is this is the difference between 40-year-old Moses and 80-year-old Moses. 40-year-old Moses is, God, you don't need to tell me how to do this. I got this. I, I, I know this. But 80-year-old Moses was, who, who am I? I? I'm not big enough, God. I, I can't do this. I can't, I can't do this on my own. And I believe that the question that he asks, even though God doesn't answer, it's a good question because it shows us where his heart is. It, it shows us that, that he's humble enough to lead God's people. He may not have the right tools to job, but or the right tools to do the job, but but man, he he's humble. Now you'd think that in response to this question, this God, who am I? That God would respond something encouraging. Oh, Moses, I love you, Moses. You know, you're a great guy, Moses. Or, you know, don't don't worry, Moses. You may not think you got this, but don't worry, you've got this. Uh, I believe in you. But instead, like I said, he he completely ignores the question. Who am I? He, he doesn't even answer that. He disregards Moses, and instead he gives a five-word answer that I believe changed Moses' perspective. And they were these words, I will be with you. I will be with you. Those are some powerful words. Those are words we already heard this morning. I will be with you. See, it's as though God is saying to Moses, I don't care who you are. I don't care how inadequate that you feel. It doesn't matter because what matters is I will be with you wherever you go. You may not have it all together. It doesn't matter. I will be with you. See, if you knew who you were talking to in this burning bush, if you knew uh, who you were speaking to, it would totally change your mind. You're looking at your inadequacy, inadequacies, inadequacies, but I'm just looking to make sure that your heart's in the right place. Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9 says this, The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. See, when God goes to, to find someone to lead his kingdom, he isn't checking resumes. He's checking the altars. Right? He, he's checking to see, is your heart in the right place? He, he's not looking for the most qualified. He, he's looking for those whose hearts are fully committed to him, to those who are fully surrendered, to those who are all in. So where's your heart this morning? Where's your heart this morning? Do you think you, you've got it all together? Or you say, God, I just need more of you. God, who, who am I? God, who am I? I just need more of you. See, Moses' question showed God that, that his heart was in the right spot. It showed that he was no longer prideful, that, that he was going to be dependent on God. Again, God isn't looking for perfect people. There's no perfect people. He's just looking for people with their heart in the right place. He selected David, a shepherd boy. He didn't have all the right tools, but he was a man after God's own heart. And when you have the right heart and God is all you want and you're seeking him first, that's when you realize that it doesn't matter who you are. 
It just matters who you're with. And God says, I will be with you. I will be with you. God tells Moses, I will be with you. You don't need the skills. You don't need the words. You don't have to have this because I've got this. I mean, how would you like if God told you that? Like he literally had a one-on-one conversation with you and, and he told you, I will be with you. I will be with you. Right? Like he said, uh, in the word that, that was given this morning, he said those words, I will be with you. And Jesus told us those same words too in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20 in the Great Commission. He, he says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And then notice this, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. He's already promised you. He's given you the same promise he gave Moses. No matter where you go, I will be with you. So stop worrying about if you've got all the tools or if you're, no, I will be with you wherever you go. When you go tell your neighbor about Jesus, I will be with you, right? When you go on that missions trip, you don't have to worry because I will be with you. When God calls you to a new town or he calls you to a new job, you don't have to worry about all the finances because God will be with you. When you're facing health issues, he says, I will be with you. When you trust him with your tithe, he, he says, I will be with you. When you feel like you're at the end of your rope, I will be with you. When you go through the valley of the shadow of death, I will be with you. So remember that. Wherever we go, he's given us that promise as we walk with him that he will be with us. He will be with us. And then in that verse, it goes on to say something interesting. He God tells Moses, and this is going to be the sign. This is going to be the sign that you're going to worship me on this mountain. After you complete the task, you're going to come back and you're going to worship me on this mountain. After you've done all that, after you've done the impossible, I will not have left. My presence will not leave. You are going to come back on this mountain and and something different is going to change. Something is going to happen. So it's interesting just looking at this for a little bit. Uh, He's at Mount Horeb. But scholars have said that Mount Horeb and Mount Sinai are actually the same mountain. There's a few different theories out there. Uh, Horeb and Sinai mean, if you translate them, sun and moon. So maybe it's two different sides of the mountain peak, or maybe it's two different peaks on the same mountain. Uh, But but they're the same place. So Moses goes out, and uh, he, he frees the Israelites. God helps him. He does all of those different things, and it's amazing. And, and he, they cross the Red Sea, and where do they come back to? The same place that he heard from God from the burning bush. But this time it was different. I want you just to listen to this. Exodus chapter 19, verse 16. It says, On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning, with a thick cloud over the mountain, and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Again, you've got all the Israelites who just came out of Egypt. It says, Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from, uh, from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. At the sound of the trumpet, as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. Isn't that a scene? Right? The first time Moses was there, there was a a little bush that was burning that didn't stop. But when Moses returned, God had promised him, you're going to worship me on this mountain again. You're going to remember. And God made it a moment he would never forget. 
There wasn't just a little fire this time. It says this time God descended in fire, that there was smoke, that there was thunder, there was lightning, that the, the mountain began to tremble. Right? This was, this was incredible. This was the presence of God. God held true to his promise that I will be with you wherever you go. I will be with you. And we need to trust that God will be with us wherever we go. His promises are true. So you got the first question, who am I? It speaks to the humility uh, when we recognize that, that we can't do it without God. But the second question is also important. Moses continues in this conversation with God in verse 13. He says this, Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? Moses said to God, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. So the second question here that Moses asks is, again, it's a very important question. And, and it not only helped him to understand himself, but it helped the second question helped him to understand who God was. So he says, okay, God, say I follow this plan. Say I go to the Israelites. Say I tell them that, that God sent me. What do I call you? What is your name? Who are you, God? Who are you, God? That's the second question that I think is so important that we ask to figure out, are we ready? Who are you, God? So the first question, who am I? And the second question is, who are you, God? See, this is an important question because uh, there's no written Bible at this point, right? There's, there's no written word. There's no place that they can go back and, and check. Everything has been passed down orally at this time. So far, the only part of the Bible that's been lived out or that's happened has been the book of Genesis. Uh, we're talking Adam and Eve through Joseph, right? That's, that's what's lived out. That's what's happened in the Bible. And, and so they don't really have a great name for who God is at this point. See, they know the God of Adam and Eve, the one who created the universe. They know him as the creator. They know the God of Noah, uh, the God who judged the world and sent the flood. They know him as their judge. Uh, they also know from Noah that he's the God who saved Noah and his family. So he's the God of salvation. They know uh, the God of Abraham. And the God of Abraham uh, revealed himself to, to Abraham as the almighty God as the God most high, as the everlasting God, as the God who provides, as the God who sees, right? All these different things. So they had these little bits and pieces. Uh, they knew the God of Jacob, uh, the God who appeared to Jacob at, at Bethel. They, they knew the God of, of Jacob who wrestled with Jacob and, and changed his name to Israel and called them the Israelites. They knew the God of Joseph who helped Joseph interpret dreams. So they've got all these little pieces of who God is. Okay, God is our creator. He, he's our judge. He, he's our savior. Uh, he, he's the holy one. That He is everlasting. He is our provider. He's the one who, who is all seeing. He's the interpreter of dreams. Uh, he, he is the one who cares for. So they, they've got all these little pieces of God. And they're trying to figure this all out. They're trying to put it all together. And, and Moses says, who are you? What is your name? Who are you, God? We've got these little pieces, but give me a fuller picture, God. Who are you? And God responds with, with these words that make so much sense, but don't make any sense at all in human terms. He says, I am who I am. 
That's my name. That's who you, I am. You go back and you tell the Israelites, I am who I am. This is my name. So now it's interesting if you look at it in our terms today. I am who I am. Uh, when you break that down, and uh, that's where we get the word Yahweh from. Yahweh. So he says, that's my name. It's, it's Yahweh. In fact, he, he makes it even a little bit more confusing. It was just all capital letters, all consonants. There was no vowels in there. It was just uh, Y-W-H-W. Yeah, something like that. Y-H-W-H. There we go. Uh, Yahweh. And, and it, was, it was an unpronounceable word because it had no vowels. So people saw that as a great sign of respect. Of This is the God that we can't even understand. This is the God we can't even, uh, we can't even pronounce. So most people wouldn't even pronounce his name. And when they, they spelled it, they just had that abbreviation in there. It wasn't until later they, they made it pronounceable so that we could understand who it is. And, and later we, we use that word Yahweh, and when translated, it's Jehovah. So this is God. I am who I am. It means I am the existing one. I've always existed. I've always been. I always am. And I always will be. The one who was, who is, and who is to come. That is who God is. It, I am is all-encompassing. It was, a, again, quite the statement. The existing one. He has no past. Think about this. Because he is the I am, he has no past, and he has no future. He just is. We have a timeline. We live linearly, right? We have a beginning, a middle, and an end. But with God, he doesn't dwell in time. He is just as much... In Genesis chapter 1 today, as he is in Revelation, the last chapter, right? As he is here with us today. He just is. That's why when he makes a promise and he says, I will always be with you, he's already with you. He's already with you in the future. He's already with you in your past. He's already with you because he simply is. He says, I'm the God of Abraham. I'm the God of Isaac. I'm the God of Jacob. Right? So go back and tell them that I am has sent you. So my question to you today is this. Who is God to you? Who is God to you? Moses was asking, God, who are you? I've got this little, God, are you my provider? Uh, God, are, are, are you my judge? God, are you this? Are you that? And he says, yeah, I am. I'm all of it. I'm all of those pieces put together and then some. I am even more than that. So who is God to you? Because we have a lot of wrong views of who God is, or a lot of partial views of who God is. Uh, for some of you, maybe you view God this morning as he's your guardian angel, and that's how you view God. Oh yeah, he, he's the God who protects me, so that's why I pray before I go on a trip, that's why I pray before, and, and so that's your, maybe a narrow view of God, it's, he's just my protector, he's just there when I need him. Or for some of us, maybe we view God as he's, he's the genie God. Right? So all we do with God is we just ask him, God, can I have this? God, can I have this? God, will you grant me this wish? God, God will you do this? God, will you do this? And, and that's the only relationship we have with God is, is just asking him for stuff. Some of you, maybe you just view God as, as the friendly God. God, I just want to feel your presence. God, I, I, just, I just want you here. God, I just need a friend. God, I just need a friend. And so that's all we ever go to him for is, is just, God, would you just be here with me right now? And, and I, I just need somebody to take me through my, my anxiety or, or my situation. God, would you just be here with me? 
Some of you, you, you were raised and you just view God as he's the guilt God, right? And that's all he's there for is just to convict you and to let you know how rotten you are, right? And we just view him as judge and judge alone. He's there to tell us that, that we are wrong. Some of us, we serve the opposite God. We, we serve the feel-good God, right? And we, we come to church just so we can feel good. God, I, I just want you, God, would you forgive me for everything that I just did last night? And I have every intention of doing it again next Saturday night, right? But, but I just need your forgiveness to make sure that I, I feel clean. And so we just do that same cycle again and again and again and again. And, and it's just to make us feel good about ourselves. Some of us, we serve the gap God, the gap God, uh, the one who just fills in all the gaps. Well, science doesn't have an answer for that, and I can't quite figure it out. So the answer must be God, right? God, God did that. God, God made this happen. What's the reason? Well, it was God. And that's just our fallback. How we explain the universe is just God. Now, none of these views of God is maybe necessarily inherently wrong. They, they all have some truth in them. But they're all partial views of God. Who is God? Is he our protector? Who is God? Does he hear our prayers? Who is God? Is he our friend? Is, is he our judge? Is he uh, our for, forgiver? Is he the one who fills in all the gaps? Yes. Yes. To all above, he is. I am. Right? That's what he says. I am who I am. I am everything. I am beyond your comprehension. I am bigger than you could possibly imagine. I am who I am. Revelation chapter 22, verse 13. Jesus says these words, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. See, God is, we can't comprehend him. He's too great. He's too wonderful. So if you want to be used greatly by God, then you need to understand who God is. We can't have this narrow view because if we just have this narrow view of God, and we think, okay, God, you can do this much. And that's all he's going to use us for when he's saying, no, I've got so much more. And the amazing thing is we can, we can study, we can study God every day of our life and you will never figure him out. There's going to be more because, again, it's, it's mind-blowing how big that God is. We can't put him in a box. God is beyond our comprehension. So these are the two questions. God, who am I? And God, who are you? Who am I? Do I recognize that I can't do it on my own? And God, who are you? Do I recognize how great you are, how powerful you are, how much you can use me? So those are the two questions that I want you to ponder today. I'm going to invite the worship team. Would you come? Who am I? Who am I? And God, who are you? When Moses asked these two questions, I want you to see what happens next. I want you to see what happens next. Exodus chapter 3, verse 16. God tells Moses, go. Assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, appeared to me and said, I have watched over you, and I have seen what has been done to you in Egypt. And I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. So he tells them the words to say. And he says, the elders of Israel will listen to you. 
Then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, he will let you go. Verse 21. And I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed towards this people, so that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbor and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing, which you will put on your sons and daughters, and so you will plunder the Egyptians. So when God asked, or when Moses asked God these two questions, God, who am I? And God, who are you? That's when God reveals his plan. That's when God reveals his plan. That's when, that's when God takes Moses to the next step. All right, here's how it's going to work. Here's what you're going to do. And, and so he gives the exact words that he's supposed to say. I want you to go back and I want you to tell the, tell the people, the Israelites, who I am. Let them know I've heard their cries. Right? I, I see their pain. And I remember the promise that I made them, that I'm going to take them to a land flowing with milk and honey. And then he says, once you've done that, now I want you to go to Pharaoh. I want you to tell him, let my people go. Right? Let my people go on a holiday. We're just going to have a little break. And guess what? He's going to tell you no. Isn't that funny that in God's plan, that bad things are going to happen? In God's plan, not everything is a success. Not everything is a, what we view as, as oh, this is, this is a failure. God says, no, that's part of the plan. The failure is part of the plan. So it's not going to work. And when it doesn't work, that's when I'm going to send in miracles. I'm going to send in signs and wonders. And I'm not even going to tell you that because you're not even going to believe all the great things that are going to happen. But, but after that, he's going to let you go. And when you go, get this, you're going to leave with all their stuff. You're just going to ask them. And they're just going to give you gold and silver. And, and though you've been their slaves, now you're going to be walking out. You're going to plunder them. And you're not even going to have to fight them. I'll fight the battle for you. I mean, what a plan. What a plan. But that doesn't happen until Moses asks those questions. God, who am I? And God, who are you? Who am I? And God, who are you? Because when we recognize who we're not, and we recognize who God is, that's when he can use us. And that's why we continue to pray that, that prayer in, in John chapter 3. He must increase. I must decrease. God, you must increase. You must become greater. I must become less. Because that's when God uses us. God, become greater in my life. Make me less. Fast forward about 1,300 years, give or take. John chapter 8, verse 58. Jesus says these words. Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. I am. You see, God the Father declared those words, I am who I am. But 1,300 years later, Jesus, the Son of God, declared those same words. Before Abraham was born, I am. Those were very intentional words. He didn't say, before Abraham was born, I was. He says, no, I am. I am, because that is his name. I am who I am, Yahweh, Jehovah. He's the same God who appeared to Moses at the burning bush. 
See, the Jews, they understood what Jesus was saying, and they thought this was blasphemy. He just called himself I am. So they picked up stones to to stone him. But Jesus got away because he was saying, I am. So who is Jesus to you today? Who is Jesus to you? Because as we look through Scripture, we see that, that Jesus declares himself, I am, but he also, throughout Scripture, I mean, he is. He is. You look, uh, in John chapter 1, Jesus was with God in the beginning, that through him all things were, were created. It says that he went and died on the cross for us. He took our punishment. He took our sin. He was our Savior, and he took the punishment on that cross, and he died. But if he died, wouldn't he be a was? No, he rose again. The grave couldn't hold him because he is. Because he is. Because he is the great I am. And today he sits at the right hand of the Father because he still is. And he always will be. And one day he's going to return. He's going to return. It's going to be a glorious day. He's going to defeat sin. And he's going to defeat defeat death once and for all and he's going to take his church he's going to take his people his followers to be with him forever those who have made him the lord of their life those who believe that he died and that he rose again so who is jesus to you who is god to you this is a great time to ponder those two questions god who am i and god who are you this morning we're gonna we're gonna close with communion and I hope everybody's uh, grabbed one of those. If, if you haven't, in just a moment, uh, the worship team's going to play, and you can go back and, and grab one of those from uh, the baskets in the back. You don't need to be a member of our church to receive communion this morning. You just need to be a follower of Jesus. That's the only qualification as we look back. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 28, it says that everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread, before they drink of the cup. So today we, we receive communion just to remember. As Jesus instructed us to do this in remembrance of him, to, to do this to remember what he did on the cross. So I want you to take a moment. The worship team's going to play Revelation song. And uh, I want you to just take some time to examine yourself. God, is there any sin in my life? Is there anything I need to, to let go? And to ask yourself those two questions. God, who am I? And God, who are you? Do do I have too great a view of myself and too small a view of you? How can I flip those around? How can I become less and you become greater in my life? So Jesus, I pray that as we go into this time, God, may we examine our hearts. God, may you, may you show us areas in our lives that we still need to surrender a little bit more. God, show us who we are. Show us who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. So take these time. Just spend some time in prayer.
are holy. You are perfect. You are powerful. God, may you help us to understand who you are in a greater way. Lord, I pray if there's anybody in this place today, God, who doesn't know you, who hasn't made you the Lord of their life, who hasn't realized that we can't do this thing on our own, God, I pray that even just right now in this moment, they would just pray a simple prayer from their heart. We believe you died and you rose again. And I want to make you the, the Lord of my life. I want to put you in charge. You forgive me. Make me new. Lord, I believe you're making people new in this place today. So Lord, prepare our hearts. God, as we enter into this, this holy time, this sacred time, this, this time that you have ordained, as we remember your death and your resurrection. In Jesus' name, amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. It says this, the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So would you... Would you hold the bread? Would you pull that out of the communion cup? And let's, let's pray over this bread this morning. Jesus, thank you for your body. God, that you sacrificed all for us. That you allowed yourself to be broken, to be whipped, to, to have the crown of thorns pushed into your head. have nails driven through your, your arms and your feet, Lord. God, thank you for the pain and the suffering that you endured on that cross. Because we weren't worthy. But you loved us. And you still love us. And you'll never stop loving us. So we thank you for this bread today. remember you, and we remember your sacrifice. Amen. Let's take the bread together this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. It says, in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's take the, the cup in your hands. Let's, let's pray over it this morning. Jesus, we thank you for your blood. The blood that you shed on that cross. The blood that stained now washes our sins away, white as snow. Lord, thank you that you have given us a second chance. Thank you for your mercy. God, thank you that you are still our Savior. So Lord, we thank you for the blood that you shed. We thank you for this cup. And we remember your sacrifice again today. We remember, we proclaim that you died and that you rose again. In Jesus' name. 
Let's take the cup together. stand with me who am I God and who are you God God may you become greater may we become less church I believe that God wants you to use you to do great things even this week things that are beyond your ability things that are are beyond your your strengths and your, your talents I believe that God wants you to reach out that he's going to use you to share your faith this week. And we're going to pray that he brings you opportunities to stretch you, to, to take you to, to new places. But we have to rely on him. We have to put our trust in him. Because with God, all things are possible. But with us, we're pretty limited. So let's trust in him today. Jesus, God, we thank you. God, we are just empty vessels. We're, we're here. Would you mold us? Would you shape us? Would you build us up to be the person, to be the people that you've called us to be? We are your church. We're your church, God. And we're here. We surrender to you today. We recognize your greatness. We recognize your, your brilliance, your glory, your majesty, your power, your, your grace, your love. It's unparalleled. It's incomprehensible. So today... I pray that you would use your people, empower them, strengthen them. Because we know that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, that raised you from the dead, now lives in us. So Holy Spirit, would you go with us today? Would you empower us? Would you strengthen us? Would you help us to be the people that you've called us to be? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Church, I encourage you, go. Uh, in God's power this morning. If you want to spend some time at these altars, these altars are open, but have an incredible week following the call that God has put on your life.